It's hard to retain information when every time you move, you hit your head. Ouch. Bugaboo is a hard game. Jeez. And we try to learn how to play it. Tonight, on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Commune Podcast. Today, we will be discussing Bugaboo the Flea. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask... Supeg, how have you been? I have been good. It's been a while. It's been a minute. Yeah, it's been it's been a quite a hot minute. Yeah. Glad to have you back on. You've always been a thoughtful commentator. Thank you. Have you ever played a platformer released before Super Mario Brothers? I don't think so. I had uh I played some games on DOS. One that comes to mind is Aldo's Adventure which is a shameless uh, Donkey Kong ripoff. But I think that actually came out after Super Mario Brothers. It was in the 80s, but I think it was all, slightly after. All those adventures, is that based on Planet of the Apes? I, I wish. <sighs> it, it's instead just based on Donkey Kong. I believe that was the ape Donkey villain Kong. from uh, the second Planet of the Apes movie. Oh, was Wait, yeah. I mean, yeah. if it's Donkey Kong and it's a Planet of the Apes reference... Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. You know, I, I I assumed Aldo was Jumpman, but, you know, maybe. <laughs> I don't even think the game had a Donkey Kong. <laughs> Donkey Kong minus Donkey Kong. This is Jim Davis. Confused reference. Yeah. <laughs> uh. yeah, you're just like, you're not trying to save a princess. You're just looking for money. <laughs> it's capitalist Donkey Kong. <laughs> you win the level by getting a treasure chest. Did Aldo control, like, Jumpman? I don't remember exactly. I remember it controlling just fine. However, I was also, like, four years old and hadn't really played video games, so... Right. It's hard to know. Alright. How have you been doing, Adrian? Uh, I'm tired. You sound very peppy. Have you ever played a platformer released before Super Mario Brothers? No, I mean they could say Donkey Kong, but yeah. Well, yeah, that does count. Anyone who's beaten Donkey Kong sixty four has played a platformer released before Super yeah. Mario Brothers. Has played Donkey Kong, and I think Jetpack actually came out after Super Mario Brothers, so that still doesn't count. So it's just Donkey Kong. So what do you think of the controls in Donkey Kong? I thought they were fine. I, I think it's weird. When I hear someone say the original Donkey Kong was hard as balls, and I'm specifically referencing Pat Tienia's punk, because when I heard him say that, I had to do a, I had to go, what, what, what the hell are you talking about? It like, is hard. It is. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? That game's really hard. <laughs> are, you, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. The the NES port is a lot easier, but the arcade original is pretty strict. Really? Because I, I mean, we're having a lot of trouble with. That part of Donkey Kong 64. Yes. Really? Holy shit. <laughs> I did not. I beat that twice. I was considering not beating that game because of that part. Really? Oh my god. I don't, yeah, I'm kind of with Adrian here. I don't remember Donkey Kong being that hard. <laughs> I can right. play through at least three stages of it, no problem. I played through all four of them, no problem, and beat the I game twice for the I can't coin. remember the fourth one off the top of my head. 
That's the one where you have to take apart the building. Yeah, that one. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, that's not that hard. And he just stands there and takes it, too. Because remember Donkey Kong 64, that was like the first game I got on Nintendo 64, and that was like my first real console. So, all those I6, 8, Jesus. <laughs> all right. I guess Golem and I just suck. <laughs> nah, that happens. I believe that. <laughs> Fox, how have you been doing? I'm pretty good. Nice Friday night. Have you ever played a platformer released before Super Mario Brothers? I think so. When did Pitfall come out? It's before Mario, right? Oh, Pitfall's like 81, right? Yeah, that's well before Super Mario. Alright. Then Pitfall counts. Were you able to, you know, get very far in Pitfall? I know it's kind of an open-ended game. Yeah, is there even an end to it? No, they added the ending in Pitfall 2. (laughs) <laughs> in Pitfall 1, you just collect a lot of stuff. I remember you could just go left, and it would take you to the last screen of the game, just from the beginning. So, I, yeah. I, don't, I remember it was pretty easy to play. It was just more of a... I think it's pretty interesting. What would you say makes it interesting? Well, that openness is pretty interesting. It's oh. not in, as arcadey as, as you might expect for a game that old. Yeah, it is strange. Pretty adventurous. <laughs> no, that's a different game. Uh, all right. And finally, yourself, how are you doing? Donkey Kong Jr. <laughs> uh, and, um, <laughs> do you think Donkey Kong Jr. controls easily? I don't really know, because I haven't played it since I was like five. But when I was a kid and had an NES, I played a shitload of that. Yeah, it's a good game. I thought it was pretty reasonable to play when I was five. I thought, you know, uh, well-designed at the time. You're in the soup egg camp of, you know, not having a very scrutin... Uh, yeah, I didn't have a lot of scrutins back then. But <laughs> scrutiny, I don't know. Picked up a lot of them. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. In Bugaboo, your aim is to guide a flea out of a deep, dark cave while avoiding a dragon. How did we come to grips with this goal? How did we learn to play the game successfully? Its controls are its most unique part. You can either jump left or right by holding a jump key and charging the jump meter. Thing is, the meter moves really fast. Like, way too fast. And it's hard to follow Bugaboo because it jumps so fast. And in order to win, of course, you gotta learn to use these controls. So let's jump into Bugaboo. While I was playing Bugaboo, I had a hard time playing, and I was wondering if I could even play to win, which is to say, if I could find some consistent way of playing. And that got me thinking that when I play a game, I usually try to find the skills that I can use to conquer it, that uh, usually there's a a way to solve a game and find a consistent way of achieving your goals. But I had a hard time finding those skills in Bugaboo. I'm not sure if they're even there or if they are there, you know, how hard they are to achieve. So I wanted to see how you all did in that regard. Soup, when you started the game, how easy... Was it to learn Bugaboo's controls? It's super easy to learn the controls. Two buttons. 
<laughs> as far as using them to effectively traverse the terrain, that's a very different question. Huh. So why is that a different question? Um, because it's easy to know like what buttons to use, but it's very hard to control him, which is the point of the game, really. <laughs> that it's incredible. He's incredibly hard to control. I was just comparing it to Octodad the entire time I was playing it because it feels like it's a game where any normal video game character could blast through this map in a minute, but poor little Bugaboo has a lot of trouble. Um, and so you're more fighting, fighting against the controls themselves because he just, it's hard to gauge how far he jumps. That's very difficult. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like when you press the jump button, you're not really sure what's going to happen when you release it. Correct. Because you have to hold it down for a certain amount of time to jump. Even if you tap it really quickly, it seems like it releases you at like a third of the bar's length. So to do a smaller jump, you have to let it charge and wait until it gets to the next thing. But the time, like, it seems like you have just a couple pips that do a small jump. And then, like, anything from a quarter to a third of the bar onward is just, like, send you to the stratosphere. So it's very hard to make small jumps because the timing is really, really, really precise. Yeah, so it's hard to adjust your controls to get an accurate output in the game. Oh yeah, getting accurate output is very difficult. Alright. Fox, how easy did you think it was to learn the controls? I, I found myself getting adjusted to it pretty quickly. The more I played with it, the more I felt it came down to breaking into three types, which is the small, the, I don't know what I want to call it, the medium jump, and then the blast unit, the stratosphere jump. <laughs> but... They all seem pretty easy to hit, except for like the pixel small jump, which is just trying to get it to zero as close as you can, which sometimes turns into a medium jump. But that came to me pretty quickly, I think. The the bigger problem for me was getting used to playing a game like this, where usually when I'm playing a platformer, I play it more reactively, where I'm just moving and reacting to things that come into me. But this seemed to be uh, more puzzle-like. What makes you say it's puzzle-like? It seems like the, the important thing is getting into a position where you can get to the next position you're thinking of. So you're thinking of moving in terms of tactical spots on the map to the next tactical spot to the map. So you're thinking you're, you're prioritizing spots on the map to get to and how you can get there easily. It seems like uh, another way of putting it would be to say that you generally try to think steps ahead and try to fit into a scheme where you imagine the entire length from the beginning to the end of the cave. That's much better put, yeah. Okay. And it also sounds like you were able to gain a mastery over the controls by simplifying what you wanted out of them. wouldn't say quite mastery, but it simplified, yeah, it made things much easier. <laughs> Maybe not mastery, but at least uh, uh, satisfaction, sufficiency. Yeah, it didn't, it wasn't as, as hindering as it could have been. Yeah. Yourself, do you think that approach uh, effectively tames the controls? The short, medium, long? Yeah, I think, well, at least that gives you sort of a handle on it. Uh, I guess with any control scheme that has as much gradation as uh, what's in Bugaboo requires the player to approach it in steps. I mean, you're not going to 
be performing the most uh you're not going to be wave dashing the first time you play melee. <laughs> uh, you need to get a feel for the basics. And I think that uh, what Fox described sort of does form a sort of basic set of controls that allows you to at least move around in the game world a little bit so that as you get presented or as you get a feel for more specific situations, you then can approach fine tuning your inputs. Yeah, I think that's a key note that my experience was maybe a little different from Fox's in that I found the three gradations of jump effective in the beginning. But as I got closer and closer to finding my complete route out of the cave, I found that there were some key jumps that relied on more subtle timing. In particular, is that that one right at the end that bugs me. Mm -hmm. The entrance to the, the victory corridor at the end. I could not find any jump except for one that would get me in there, and that one just does not work consistently. In particular, I'm referring to the, you know, the max power minus two jump that goes different distances sometimes. So when Fox describes the game as puzzle-like, what you just described is what makes me come to that conclusion as well, that there are certain times when there's a very specific set up an input you need to progress, which I think is something that action games generally don't confine themselves to. Like, action games need to have some reactive element. And Bugaboo does have that in places, certainly at the beginning when you're just moving yourself from the starting point to the far left or the far right. Uh, there are many different combinations of jumps you can do, and you can tune your jump based on your landing position. But then eventually you get to a point towards the end when you're usually on like either one tile wide platforms or you just need to be on one exact tile and then need to reproduce one exact jump to progress. Yeah. Buried in there actually is, is a good point that Bugaboo gives you one flat floor all the way at the bottom. Um, I guess there is some, some stuff laying around, but for the most part, it's pretty flat and pretty open so that you can spend your time experimenting and, and thinking around and whatever. So it's nice to have that baseline for learning. Adrian, did you have anything to add on the controls? No, I think you guys got most of it, but um, I was looking at some of these videos and just to get an exact number on how fast these things, and when you play it at like a quarter of the speed, you know, using YouTube's slow feature, that bar can go like three or four at a time. And considering these videos are at 30 frames per second, like what's 30 divided by four? I think the point you're trying to make is yeah, that the bar doesn't move <laughs> one uh, bit at a time. I don't yeah. feel like doing math in my head. But yeah. I always assumed it was just one frame per pip. And so that, you know, if it's more pips per frame on YouTube, I would boil it down to YouTube's frame limit. Yeah, but if it was going from 50 frames to 30 frames, then you'd only be losing less than every other frame. Right. I mean, I've watched it frame by frame, and it does not go one at a time. Yeah. It, that it was something I was curious about, because I was wondering, like, is it actually possible to perfectly time my jumps every time? And it seemed like it wasn't. Yeah, that's the issue that I was finding as well. Because I don't... That whole bar, which I is I wasn't about, sure if 50 frames was just too fast for me to react, or if 
it was actually going too fast. I wasn't really sure. Something that I had speculated that is really difficult to call without a really good input recording and reliable video recording is that the bar is uh, measured at a lower increment than what is actually displayed. So if it displays 30 dots there, I think it actually might be measuring like a value from zero to 50 or something. So that would explain why the max power minus two jump is inconsistent Mm. because you can have the same amount of dots, but it could be at a different step within the dots that you're stopping. Yeah, I think the timing might be a little bit more specific than what it's actually showing you. Yeah, I feel like I did have like a few situations where I had the same number of pips and it did a different jump. Like a slightly <laughs> different jump. Mm. One thing I would add is that I found myself hitting my head on the ceiling a whole lot. So uh, in learning Bugaboo's controls, I found that learning the cave itself was important to, you know, that I could make up for whatever deficiency I had in the controls with mastery over the cave ceiling right yeah sometimes you would deliberately do um, a really strong jump just to hit your head in the ceiling just so you, instead of having to do a small jump to move five tiles over you deliberately go max jump hit your head on the ceiling and land five tiles because that was easier to time i found yeah it's definitely way easier to time the astro jump than the five tile jump yeah because normally when i had to do that like even pushing the button and releasing it as fast as I can. <laughs> uh, you good luck trying to get that near one or three. You, know, you usually yeah, try I mean, to use it to loop around and then land it that way. <laughs> yeah, navigating by crashing your head was way more reliable than any other form of navigation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good quote. So part of playing Bugaboo well involves learning its controls and trying to get around where we're not really able to properly approach the controls. Oh, I, I do remember one thing. It took me a, a lot of um, jumping and bug move for me. I actually had to do a lot of that by feel. And that's because while supposedly the game runs at 60, 50? Did you say it was 50? I think it's supposed to be 50. It should be yeah. 50. Okay, that's weird. Well, it's it's PAL standards. Yeah, that's true. So 50 frames per second, like the bug sprite on the screen certainly does not feel like it moves like that. Like that. Like it, it probably doesn't. I yeah. highly doubt that it's moving 50 frames per second. It seems like it only draws it at half screen lengths or something. Yeah. So, so that made it harder for me to get a gauge on uh, his trajectory because it'll, it'll kind of almost look like a slideshow and the way it scrolls like that. And because you're in such an enclosed space, you never actually get to see the full length and trajectory of his jumps. So I was always working with aggregates or memorizing the jumps based on positions I've been in and jumped at, you know, several times before. Like, even if you ask me, what is his, you know, highest jump and how many tiles is that or whatever small, medium, you know, that kind of uh, simplification, I couldn't tell you. Like, I could tell you, Mario, he jumps five blocks high. Bugaboo, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> yep, that's very, very true. What you did, instead of learning the jump 
ability in itself. What you learned was at this tile in the cave, this particular length jump ends up landing me at this spot. Mm -hmm. And it's just a long list of those three qualities. Right. That especially got painful near the end because um, it, that was where it broke down, you know, where the cyan and green block is trying to make that jump where separating it into small, medium, long jumps did not help anymore. And I was trying to figure out, all right, what is the exact pip I need? And I was doing it like, okay, it's between where the timer is and where the uh, little number counter is. <laughs> so it's somewhere between 12 and 21 is where that sweet spot is. And that was just Jeez. trial and error. And sometimes I didn't know if like the maybe one pixel or one tile that Bugaboo would land on actually did affect that. And then there was also the variation in the controls. Because I did get the feel that sometimes I feel like I would hit the same pip and not jump to the same spot. And yeah, that's another factor of trial and error to throw into there and frustration. All right. So it sounds like we all had a, a wonderful time learning the controls. This is one of the, not maybe not even, I wouldn't say the few cases, but this is actually a game where I would say that I actually do think the jump controls are too hard. And that's because of just that sheer speed to where I can't even like see like what the timings are in it because it's just so fast to the point where I think that meter is even moving like at a speed to where it's in between frames. I can't even tell. Like, that's the worst part is that I can't even tell. I have to go back into video editing software and look at that for myself. <laughs> and that's when you know yeah. you're reaching a level of difficulties. Like, oh, this is a bit maybe overkill. Well, that was common uh, back in 83. Uh, that, you know, you would take yeah, it. You whip out your video toaster and plug it into the <laughs> <Yeah. expression. laughs> Yeah. But um, that does that does play into the game taking longer than what I feel and why I never want to play this game again. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, but ever again. <laughs> I I I really liked going back and recording the video footage, showing that I couldn't determine the jump strength. <laughs> Did you also like going back and playing Popful Mail? No. <laughs> yeah. So the the sheer speed that that thing moves and the timing you need to get that uh, that actually I do think falls in maybe the realm too hard. But the other thing I think is understanding your jump strength because that jump strength goes all the way up to thirty two, and I'm not sure how necessary it was, or actually I think it adds a bit more to the confusion that it goes that high that there are that many differences. Like does anybody in here know what the difference between a jump strength of nineteen and a jump strength of twenty is? I have no idea. Like that's why one of the first things I would do was chunk it, and then towards the end, it's figuring out all right which jump strength do I really need? Because the thing is, unlike other platformers, where you might have slighted like Mario, where you might have a slight adjustment in the middle of a jump, here uh, it's pretty fixed. So that's why it's even more crucial here than in Mario to understand how high, how far that jump will go. Next, we covered our approach to Bugaboo's cave. The ornery jumping, hungry dragon, and claustrophobic platforms all influenced the way we learned the cave. Supeg, when you enter the cave, you're stuck in a huge old maze. Yep. Did you have any trouble finding a way out? Not really in the, like, 
at the very beginning of the game, it shows you falling down. So you kind of know how high you have to go and what a couple of those platforms look like. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of know what your goal is. It does a good job of that. But yeah, it's really hard to navigate. I mean, I guess not hard to navigate. It's hard to find a path, but that's the whole game. Right. So what you, the distinction you're making is that you are always aware of where you are, but you are, you're not sure how to get where you want to be. Right. Uh, at least that was the case for me. Like I was very, after playing for a few minutes, like I had a good layout of pretty much the whole map, except the very top because you don't get there very often. But yeah, pretty solid grasp on the whole map. It's just about how do I maneuver around this map that I know in a way that gets me higher. Yeah. Fox, in your time with Bugaboo, did you spend much time looking around the cave for alternate paths? Uh, yeah, tons of time. Cause that's, that's really the heart of it. Is you, you, you're gonna, you're gonna try one path and get to a point where like, uh, this looks way too hard or impossible. And then you have to try something else. In particular, it, when, when I start, you go to the left and you're almost immediately eaten by a dragon. There's a good chance it's gonna <laughs> happen. So you go the other way. Uh, you go to that bushy corner area and the only way I can get up is to see that, that really painful looking red slope that you have to make those, a bunch of oddly timed jumps. So that looks disheartening. So you go somewhere else and start exploring. Yeah, I tried that red slope and I concluded that it was not doable, but um, <laughs> I'm wondering now if it's just one of those impossibly precise sequences. Seems like there are a lot of those here. Are you talking about the, like that red thing on the right? Yeah. Man, I barely even got <laughs> to that one. <laughs> I went and stuck like, there just a couple of getting... times. Like, just getting the opportunity to mess with that red thing is like a one in a million thing for me. So a, a big incentive to exploring the cave is the game's difficulty. Yeah. it's Well, it's one, the difficulty of figuring out which jumps are going to take you where, and two, the dragon will probably lead you off somewhere else entirely. Right. How long would you say it took you to boil the cave down to the paths that you could do and the, ca the paths that you could not do? Probably a good hour or so, maybe more than that. Okay. Just straight playing, yeah. That's faster than me. It took me, <laughs> it was pretty much as soon as I found those paths, I was out of there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But getting that point was like four hours. Yeah. Traditionally in games where there's not a straightforward linear path, or that require exploration, finding things off screen... There are two search algorithms that most people rely on, breadth-first search or depth-first search. Just to briefly summarize this for people who aren't familiar, breadth-first search is when you check each exit to a room and then check each exit to each of the rooms you just found iteratively. So you're going at a, a depth of one, then a depth of two, then a depth of three. So if you're in a room that has three doors... You go into the left door, you come back to the main room. You go into the north door, you come back to the main room. You go into the right door, and you come back to the main room. And then you go to each of those rooms and repeat that process. A depth-first search is more easily described as you just take every left turn. So that's when, if you're in a room with three doors, you take the left door. Then if the room you end up in has any doors in it, then you take the left door. And 
you just keep going through that process until you run out of doors to take. And then you go back up a level and then take the next left door. It's much easier to explain with illustrations. So, if, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> so depth first search is personally what I pretty much always use. I just doesn't really matter what kind of game I'm playing. I always take every left turn first. And the reason I do that is because you're more likely than not to find something valuable at the end of a path, not midway through a path. I mean, this is just very broadly speaking, obviously different games are going to have different scenarios, but it's usually the case that there's going to be a treasure chest or an exit or something at the end of the path. So depth, depth first search is typically valuable to get stuff fastest. The reason I bring it up is that Bugaboo is a game where I did not use that algorithm. I used breath first search instead. And the reason for that is as you progress through the levels of the maze, the jumps get a lot harder to make, as we described earlier. And it takes more experimentation and more precise jumping to move forward. And it also is not clear that any given path will have an exit. And all your, I mean, the only thing of value in this game is an exit. You're not rewarded for finding other paths. So it ends up being easier to do breath first search because from any point, it's always going to be easier to take all the jumps from that point than to take two jumps in one direction or to go two depth levels further. Or in this case, it's really height levels because you're going up, not down, but I thought that was interesting that that sort of progressive difficulty and the ambiguity of the ending point sort of forces you to, it doesn't force, but it encourages a different search methodology, which in turn had me explore the entire map before I ever had any idea which of the paths was going to take me an exit to an exit. Would you say that's good or bad? Would you reserve judgment? I don't think it's inherently good or bad. I just think it's uh, different. Okay. Yeah, same here. It was just um, finding the path or realizing that the entire right half of the map was completely useless to me. doesn't really bother me. I don't go out and throw a judgment and say, oh, that's bad, because I don't have any assumption that if there's a platform near there, there should be an exit near there. I don't really think that. But uh, I did actually stumble onto the mostly right path i I feel like fairly quickly uh, within my first half hour but you know it's just a matter of the jump strengths that made it take forever to actually get through all of it and that's also because a lot of the jump strengths like well before the halfway mark all send you higher than the screen which makes it even harder to count how high does bugaboo actually go especially when there's no jump that actually lets you see the full height or trajectory of this jump so that makes it more complicated. But at cert- but there was a, a point where I could, why I ruled out the right half, because I did have a good enough idea of the angle and how much space I needed both above and beside him to know that, you know what, I probably can't make that jump. It's not even worth wasting time trying to anymore. All right. That's all I got for pathfinding. And how I ruled out which ones work and which ones wouldn't before, sometimes before I even attempted. This was really interesting too, because I'm, the exploration didn't really feel different to me in this game, but I also, I am definitely a breadth first 
Red. search kind of player. So, so it felt kind of natural. I don't know. That's how I always explore games. Yeah, that makes sense. When I describe my own methodology, that's just like I said, very broadly speaking. And, right. Uh, I don't think that. As actually, uh, back to the, is it good or bad? I actually would say that Bugaboo is good in that, or the fact that it uh, encourages breadth search is good in that it does lend itself to a specific search methodology. So I think the fact that the aspects of the game work together to reward a certain approach is, I, I mean, that's what a game should do. That That's how a game lets you know you're doing the right thing. Is that to say that the jumping plays into the breadth's first search? Yeah, I mean, I think that the difficulty of the jumping is the most important element that sort of led me to that approach. Yeah, I I feel like there's a certain purity to the game where you search the cave for the path that works best for you. And so if there were little nuggets around the cave that you had to collect, then you would just have to be good at all of the paths. Mm-hmm. which is uh, more than I would care to know about the jump. <laughs> yeah. So, to me, it's about the jump itself. We should give the dragon some attention, too. It's the only thing trying to kill Bugaboo, but it's pretty good at it. In fact, it's frustratingly good at it. How do you learn to overcome it? I still never really found an optimal route. Maybe I just didn't play it for long enough, but it felt like no matter where I went, like the dragon would just find me eventually and just ruin everything. <laughs> yeah, he's a wild card. Yeah, I hate that dragon. <laughs> he's the worst part of the game by far for me. <laughs> oh, no. What did you learn about the dragon? That's the thing. Like nothing. It is so hard to learn what the dragon can and can't do, where he can and can't go, and what pattern, if any, he has. Like, I have the general idea that he usually starts somewhere to the left, unless he doesn't, and (laughs) he will usually kind of stay in the more open areas and not go into, like, tighter cave areas, Mm -hmm. unless he does. So, see, he moves in such a, like, a weird random way, and it feels like there's very little you can do about him to plan around him. So that's a pretty big detriment to playing well in that you kind of get the sense that there's this random element that can just decide you have a game over. Yeah, because I completely agree with Fox that it's it's really a puzzle game at its heart. And so it's all about kind of like experimenting and, you know, trying different jump heights and trying different pathways. And the dragon just completely interrupts that process in a way that is very unfun, I find. I think mm. ideally... The dragon would force you to like change your plans on the fly, and that could be exciting. But it's such a small map with mm-hmm. such precise needs that it doesn't really gel with that idea. So you might say that the strictness and the difficulty of the jumps prevents you from properly adapting whenever the dragon ruins your plans. Exactly. Because, I mean, if you're trying to like pixel precision yourself into a good jump to get to the next platform that you want to get to when you're trying to experiment and then there's just a dragon there and then you're at the bottom of the level again because you're dead (laughs) it just kind of interrupts the whole game in a bad way yourself did you feel like you got a good grasp on the dragon no not really i guess my way of putting it would be that 
well, when it comes to adaptation, if it takes 10 tries to even verify that any jump works, then in adaptation, you'll have an exponentially decreasing at a one-tenth rate chance of being able to adapt. <laughs> There's also that um, if you are in the process of trying to learn a jump, then the dragon interrupts you trying to focus on learning that single jump. That was uh, the biggest problem I had with it. I mean, I don't really mind losing uh, sometimes, and I never made any serious attempt to adapt when a dragon would show up. It would basically just be run away and then just start from the beginning again, <laughs> which is why at a certain point I just gave up on trying to avoid the dragon at all because yeah, same result. Same. Just, yeah, it's just quicker to just die and start over. <laughs> yeah, I said the uh, same exact thing. Um, but it, yeah, it it does and. When you are dying in the middle of an experimentation run, that makes it a lot harder, or that puts a gap in your memory where it's harder to compare things back to back when you have these all this time inserted when you have to retry everything from the beginning again. And that's not unnatural or a bad thing in a video game, necessarily. That's why, you know, when you're playing Mario, being reset to the beginning of a level is important because it allows you to refine the previous challenges before the one that you died on so that you develop the skills that will allow you to progress further. But because Bugaboo is not as skill-based a game and it's more solution-based game, reproducing the steps to get you to the point at which you died is not always something that I find to be beneficial. And as a matter of fact, because I just have a low rate of success with the jump meter, it tends to balloon the time it takes me to play the game in sort of a discouraging way. Hmm. Fox, did you also have trouble working around the dragon? I feel like I got really angry at the dragon at times, but I don't feel like <laughs> it was ever too hindering. Did you ever feel like it was your fault when the dragon killed you? I feel like I could have avoided it by use by peeking around more. I never used the arrow keys. So you felt like you didn't do everything you could to to bring the dragon under control. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, something sort of the jumping off of you guys' comments. Like, did you guys feel that the the cost of running into the dragon was too steep? That a, a game over for that point is is extremely costly in a game like Bugaboo. Uh, I'm not sure no. that like there's much intermediate space there because when the dragon shows up. Sort of like I was describing, you die or you run back to the beginning of the level. So, yeah, yeah you don't have much space to run from in those upper areas. You're pretty yeah. much going to be falling right back down, which is why I hit a point where I kind of didn't give a shit anymore if the dragon ate me or not. It's like I'm pretty much going to be at the bottom, so it's practically <laughs> yeah. it's practically right. the same as if I just let him eat me. Hell, I probably save more time if he just eats me now. <laughs> Or maybe I could yeah. save even more time than that by just hitting the A button and abandoning the game. <laughs> and then hitting G to go back into it once I see that dragon. Yeah, that's yeah, really frustrating. I was, I was really frustrated at the time it takes from death to start of the game. Because <laughs> yeah. watching yeah. him fill out the timers just like yeah. spit my face. That is super annoying. Yeah. It's like a, it becomes frustrating in modern games when there are long loading times. And I, I've honestly... I mean, it's pure speculation, but I think one of the reasons that really difficult games that reset you to checkpoints frequently are more frustrating today is because 
if I have to sit through a 30 second load time every time I die, that's going to piss me off. <laughs> Demon Souls. <laughs> Just cause three. Maybe when the dragon eats you, instead of dying, you should go into the dragon and you have to jump out of it. Yeah, a little <laughs> Uh, Yoshi's Island. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What if he just spat you out in a random direction? <laughs> then he could help he was, you. He would still be annoying, but yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. that little bit that he could help you. If he spits you <laughs> off. And it's uh, just about as determinate as the jump strength. Yeah. <laughs> I had a different experience from everyone here. About the dragon? Yeah, Gollum has been raving about the dragon for weeks oh. now. Wow, you love it? And that's a positive raving, not the kind of raving that we've all just done. Oh, okay. oh I, I am I, I curious to hear how you can spin this. The issue, it seems like most of you are referring to, is that the dragon gets off screen, and then he just pops back on screen, and you never expect it. And so my solution to that was to learn how the dragon would float around platforms that you know, he usually takes a certain path around and he doesn't like going in certain places. And to learn uh, the dragon's range for seeing Bugaboo and to sort of tail him until I got far enough away that he generally forgot about me. Part of this requires a deep knowledge of the cave and how Bugaboo can navigate it because I can't really effectively tail the dragon when... I can't land the jumps that will put me in a spot that lets me see the dragon. But once I knew the jumping in the cave well enough, the last piece of the puzzle was knowing what the dragon does. And so I found my most effective route was to go through the bottom left. You know, the dragon starts on the bottom left. So that means peeking over um, with the scroll keys in order to keep the, the dragon out of aggro range. So that's the kind of stuff I employed to make the dragon predictable. So help me out here. Um, so you said you like learned how the dragon move and you were able to do that and stuff. How does the dragon move and work? Because I could never figure it out. <laughs> so the, it seemed like most of the issues you were pointing to were really fine issues about like, uh, you know, sometimes the dragon is able to go into this little cubby hole and bite me and sometimes he's not. Um, yeah. I don't have a solution for those, but you know, <laughs> you get the sense, well, at least I got the sense that the dragon was always looking for a path towards me. And if I was far enough away, then sometimes he would think that the path was all the way around some landmass. And so I would time it so that, um, there's a big old landmass at the bottom left of the screen. So the way I worked it, was to let him get just far enough out of range so that he thought he had to go all the way around to the bottom of the screen. And then I, I took Bugaboo all the way up to the top. And then uh, by the time I worked out my exit, you know, the dragon was all the way at the bottom. So it's a little strange, but there's a range at which he can see you directly and go straight towards you or find a reasonably efficient path. And then once he gets outside of that range, he gets a little confused and... Uh, yeah. So interestingly, what you're describing still doesn't sound like adaptation at all. It's still a matter of finding the solution to the dragon, right? Right. So what I would say is that the central problem I had with Bugaboo was that I didn't know what it took to beat the game. And so 
initially I approached the dragon as an adaptation problem. And like, oh, what are the skills I need to adapt to this? But when I started recognizing Bugaboo as more of a, a puzzle, maybe memorizer, or having to learn those solutions, when I identified Bugaboo as a game that relied on finding specific solutions, I was then able to say, well, the dragon has a specific solution. It's a little random, but not to the point that you can't find something to rely on. Yeah, I mean, I tried. And, like, I tried to learn how the dragon flew and everything, and where I could hide and where I couldn't, and, like, how he moves around. But I just didn't find a reliable pattern. You know, like, sometimes I would go up in the middle and he wouldn't be there, and sometimes he would. Sometimes I would go to the left and he would fly off, and sometimes he would, like, get me in five seconds. I mean, I was... And sometimes I, think... I would go to the right and he would follow me all the way to the right and get me in like the first 15 seconds. I don't know. Like, it was just very hard to figure out any rhyme or reason to where he moved and why. His starting position is a little random, so he'll sometimes he'll catch up to you easier. See, I didn't others. know that. I thought he always just started like somewhere up to the left. Yeah, well, it is always somewhere up to the left, but <laughs> somewhere up to the left is still vague enough that he can be in kind of different places. Yeah, I just felt like if he was a reliable puzzle element, then he should have reacted more consistently instead of randomly. But I guess my question is, um, before he came up and surprised you, had you ever seen him? Or did he just come, come out of nowhere? Various iterations of all of that multiple times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I would see him coming and I could run away. Sometimes I could see him coming and I couldn't run away. And sometimes he just came out of nowhere, or I would just, like, miss a jump and fall directly on top of him. <laughs> yeah, I had plenty of that. Yeah. Um, my solution relied on, like, being able to see him at a safe distance. Yeah, I also wasn't very good with the scrolling controls, so... They're kind of confusing to learn. They're very confusing. They... The star screen tells you scroll left, and then I hit the key, and it scrolls right. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty yeah. funny. Then they're backwards. Because <laughs> I guess it's referring to scroll the map, not scroll the camera. Yeah. Uh, all right. One other thing about the dragon uh, is that I played a bugaboo like for Ooh. Android. It's also out on iOS. It's called Bullet P. And it controls pretty similarly to Bugaboo. I mean, the timing is way easier, but you, it's the same general idea if you got the jump meter. But one interesting difference is that the first mode you play has no enemies in it. And so you're able to learn the level before you progress to the mode where they have the dragon that tries to eat you. So you're not trying to learn all those things at once. Sounds like a sensible thing. Now that we've confronted all major aspects of Bugaboo, it's time to apply that knowledge. How did our experimentation and learning pay off? Did we reach that point where our understanding of the game led to victory? So, Adrian, I want to ask, uh, just to get a sense of how effectively you grappled with the jump, mm -hmm. uh, what's a jump you can consistently make? 
Believe it or not, I can't actually consistently get to the top almost all the time. It's just that one last jump where I need to get into the crevice between the green and cyan that uh, I find the most challenging. And even now, it's just trying to get it to land on the specific number, and it's four below 32. Okay. So that's it. And it's just like, if I don't get that number, I'm not going to make the jump because that's the one that makes me move past that little cyan crevice so I can finish the game. And from there, it's just, you know, jump left, jump right, and bump my head enough until I get out of the cave. <laughs> so what uh, what was the most important technique you had for pinning down all of the jumps leading up to that? Because you sound really confident about getting up to the top there. Yeah. Two techniques, actually. One is make taking advantage of bumping your head on the ceiling above you instead of using the little jumps. Because sometimes you lose a little jump, but it's just a little bit too much. You may end up jumping like right off the platform into that giant middle crevice. So I would just use the high jump to bump myself and move myself five times to the right rather than a small jump. Because even now, I still don't understand the length and height of the small jumps. So the thing that makes... Bumping your head reliable is the fact that as soon as you touch anything, he stays perfectly still horizontally. Yeah, I, I don't even have to care like what the number is. All I need to know is that it's on the furthest point to the right of the bar. Whether it's 19, 20, 30, doesn't even matter as long as he bumps his head. It sounds like the upper end of the bar has a lot less nuance to it than the lower end. Yeah, in fact, I... And this is one of the reasons why I can't tell. It's like, I feel like he starts jumping really high, really high and really far, really fast within the meter. Mm -hmm. uh, that's another thing to where I'm not even sure if his trajectory is like linear. It almost feels... It's parabolic. Yeah. I believe, I mean, Fox, you were reading the book, but didn't they say Bugaboo was born of an experiment with parabolic jumps? Yeah, it was, it was initially astronomical software to uh, track parabolic orbits. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so that's why he jumps so high, because he's supposed to be a celestial body. <laughs> oh, space fleet. Stratospheric indeed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And the second technique is taking advantage of the loop around if, for whatever reason, I do need to make a small, minute jump. Yeah, I could never, I just never got a handle on that. Never rely on thinking you can tap that button and let go of it fast enough to get a one or a two. It's really a matter of holding it long enough to get it wrapped around in just the right spot, but even that is yeah. minimal. Yeah, even that is still challenging to land because remember, as apparently we've just confirmed, it's parabolic. So if it goes from four to five, guess what? That's enough to fly you right off. <laughs> so the difference, yeah, that's why the differences matter more on the lower end versus the higher end because the higher end you know there's so so much of the space constrained that whatever differences you probably could explore between 19 and 20 you're just not going to get it in this game all right Supeg, what's a jump that you can consistently make <laughs> not many but basically what i could pretty consistently do was like they were basically jumps i had to set up by crashing my head because i could never consistently make any jump that was just a perfect parabola. I had to just like figure out situations in which bumping my head would get me upwards. So just like the in the middle, that was my sort of preferred way to get to the mid of the stage was to go up through the middle. And I got pretty good at those jumps because with just a few jumps, you can position yourself just right to get to each platform. Yeah. After that, very hard. <laughs> so what was a jump that you had trouble doing consistently? 
basically so if I go up through the middle and the goal is to get into that little cave system to the left and like emerge out there somewhere, like I would hit my head on those like red stalactites and fall to the very bottom a lot. That was hard to get reliably for me. But yeah, with the jump height, it just felt to me like the jump height was at odds with the level design. It's so cramped that any jump from halfway to all the way full is effectively the same thing because you're going to hit your head on something. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. Whereas the very important minuscule amounts were extremely hard to distinguish and those are the most important ones to make in many situations. It was just a given that you were going to hit your head. And what gave you trouble were those jumps where the ceiling happened to be parked over a spot of the map where it would have landed you all the way at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, it was very hard to not hit my head on things, I guess I'll say. Okay. Because I found it very difficult to find that sweet spot between pixeling over and flying into the ceiling. So, so I think there's a quote for the ages. It was very hard to not hit my head on things. <laughs> Tonight on the Commune Podcast. Um, very true. It seems like there are very few places where you can start a jump that you'll hit your full trajectory. It seems like it does intend for you to smack your head on something or into a <laughs> wall or... All right. Did anyone else have any jumps they wanted to share? I can pretty consistently uh, smack myself into the edge of what I like to consider Homer's Springfield Gorge on the bottom left <laughs> of the map, where he'll fall off the one edge and then edge into the, the one below that, the edge of the one below that, edge of the one below that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That yeah, getting to that was was my big trouble because I would be coming from that cave system to the right and trying to get over there so I could get up, and I would always do the Homer Simpson fall. <laughs> <laughs> so Fox, there are a lot of times in Bugaboo where you try to make a jump and it just doesn't happen, or the dragon creeps up on you and you weren't expecting it. When you face a setback in Bugaboo, do you generally see it coming? Most of the setbacks was getting caught by the dragon mid-jump. And the things I could have seen coming if I were more careful, but I usually hadn't. Okay. After you experienced a failure like that, was there anything you could do to take away a lesson from it? I did make better use of the scroll keys as I played later on. It's pretty important to know where the dragon's going, to at least have a good idea of the general area he is, so you know that danger's out of the way. Yeah, so you were able to identify that. One of your key problems was seeing the dragon and then identifying the resource, you know, you have the scroll keys. Mm. All right. Adrian, were you able to adapt from any setbacks? Let's say you try to make one jump and it doesn't land you where you expect. Oh, uh, to me, that's just standard trial and error fare that you go through when learning any video games. Like, okay, that's where it went. Okay, that's where it went that time. And so... I'm not sure I would call that adaptation. To me, that's just like normal learning a game that you just do almost. It is possible to know, you know, to know how to perform a jump and still not perform it. Yeah, that's true. But for that, um, for me, there wasn't much adaptation to that. Like to me, that one's kind of just like practice. And that's just getting a sense of the timing that I need to do in order to make those jumps consistently. And that was something I was able to get within, I want to say half hour, first hour, because I only have 
four or five videos where I beat this game, and they all total up to about three hours. Okay. All right. I think we have exhausted everything to talk about Bugaboo. I did have one more thing to interject that was related to setbacks. There are often times where you'll know where you want to go, and there are multiple ways to get there. One example I'm thinking of is the little green island in the top left, where you'll you'll want to get to either the cubby hole or the bit on top to get to the you know the blue victory road. <laughs> but if if you try to get it from if you try to land on the top from the left, you might over jump it, and the risk is hitting the ceiling and going down to a cavern where you miss a whole bunch of better spots. Yeah. Uh, so instead, you might take a less risky route where if you if you make your make make your jump to the next spot, you're you're there. But if you miss, you're you have a, a chance of just going back to a, a lower spot, but not quite as uh, disadvantaged as you might be. So, because of your knowledge of the map, you were able to say, I recognize this jump. This isn't the jump I wanted to make, but at least I can try to get back on track from here. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Did anyone else have any thoughts on Bugaboo? Yeah, I guess just uh, expanding on that. I'm going to be IGN here for a bit and compare the game to Dark Souls, so (laughs) buckle in. But essentially, they are both very difficult games in which there are multiple ways to get to the exit. And Dark Souls kind of is like that where you have a very difficult game. And so even though you know where you're supposed to be going, it's often more about just finding what's the safest way to go, what's the best way to go. And that's a lot of what Bugaboo is, is just... Like, yeah, maybe technically I can go up the right side of the screen, but that's so hard that I'm not going to be able to do that consistently or safely because pretty much any mistake on the right side of the screen just lands you at the bottom. So, you know, okay, the left side is safer. And so that's kind of the, the struggle that you're doing in Bugaboo is what's the most reliable, least punishing path that I can find? Yeah, this game has a pretty high skill ceiling, like you can imagine. If someone did a tool-assisted run of Bugaboo, they'd be able to do a lot of things and cover a good portion of the map that you or I never could. It'd probably be that nine-second video. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's a big part of Bugaboo, is finding what you can rely on and excluding all of the tempting possibilities that are just unreliable. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that all the thoughts we have on Bugaboo? Yeah. No, I got one. After I make a salty remark about how you haven't asked me any questions in like 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, this is not entirely distinct from what Adrian was saying earlier about never being able to see an entire jump arc. But one of the things I had mentioned to you previously about the game uh, that I think makes it difficult and makes it well, it makes it a little bit frustrating, is part of experimenting is being able to observe the results of an experiment and being able to observe the inputs. And Bugaboo makes it a little bit difficult to observe both those things because the meter itself, although you can, after you've made a jump, see exactly how many you know ticks that jump was, it's a really like indistinct number. So this is what Adrian was saying about like their 30 ticks or whatever. And I mean, as someone like myself, who's fairly impatient and doesn't feel like taking notes on a game, 
I just am never going to count out how many dots I got and try to remember how many dots anything were. So that obfuscates one of the inputs. Then part of the output that's obfuscated is the jump height, because of what we said about hitting the ceiling frequently and the low animation rate. So the trajectory itself is difficult to observe. Mm-hmm. So that, to me, a combination of those factors and... Additionally, what I discussed earlier about the dragon, uh, at least threatening to put a lot of time in between your actual tests, to me, sort of uh, reduces the game to a really basic, entirely trial and error challenge, uh, just because I don't feel like if I made my own new map for Bugaboo and I gave it to everyone in this room, I don't think anyone would be able to beat it faster than another person due to their skills with the game because it's entirely based around that trial and error. It just is too difficult to correlate how things work to the results. So really, you just get a game that's like... Or for me, I mean, again, this is my personal experience and this part of just... Yeah, I'm not someone that records a game that I'm playing and and reviews the recordings and I don't take notes. And I definitely am not going to count dots. (laughs) It comes down to I hold the button for like kind of what I think is the right amount of time. And then it either works or it doesn't. And as a result, I never beat the game. And I just really don't care at all about beating it. Yeah, you need something stable to learn in order to be able to be successful in it. Yeah, I think it's not fair to call it a problem with Bugaboo because I think that it's a problem that everyone or almost everyone encounters at some point when it's just the game is too hard problem. So is that to say there's a sense that pure trial and error and just memorizing uh, a sequence of results is sort of the baseline scumming your way through a game? Right. I think that you don't feel like you get anything out of it if you feel like you're doing trial and error. And if the information about your inputs and the outputs is too subtle or too quick or too abstract for you personally to understand, then you're going to feel like the game is trial and error. And therefore, it's just going to feel like too hard and frustrating bullshit. I hope this isn't too off topic, but... That recalls a time where I thought space shooters were really frustrating because it seemed like enemies would just appear out of nowhere and I could never see it coming. And a large part of developing skills in shooters was to learn that there is typically a rhythm to enemy spawning and that um that there was an underlying system to it that made it more than just memorization. I think without even expanding into shooters, a good example is in Bugaboo, we described the the dragon, that you uh, had keener observations about the dragon than the rest of us, and therefore most of the rest of us felt it was frustrating, and you did not because uh, you took the time and uh, sort of picked up on subtleties that uh, the rest of us didn't. Okay. Yeah, the ability to see a system underlying something gives you something to work off of. Right. 
that's what you need to make it feel like you're having an impact on the game or you can get better. Right. It's not even to, I guess if I was to throw another game where you could see that same sort of trial and error, but not to this extent. And it's Starseed Pilgrim where you do need a good amount of discipline in order to play that game and to understand all the seeds. Greg, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Because, um, because the seed order is random in order to understand even one seed, you have to kind of keep yourself from wanting to just, Oh, I'll just keep trying everything. And then guess what they mean? It's like, no, you need to really discipline yourself and take it one at a time and even kill yourself. If it makes it, uh, a smoother learning process to understand each of the seeds and, and work out all the guesses that you have about how you think they may work. Bugaboo, you don't even have that opportunity because there isn't enough free space to get a gauge for all the jumps and then you have a dragon there ready to kill you even if you're just trying to practice things and get a feel for how do I, how does my character even move around? I kind of like that though. I mean, I enjoyed that in Starseed Pilgrim and I enjoyed it in Bugaboo where like... Oh, that's why I'm saying um, Starseed is not to the extent of Bugaboo and that's why I made the remark about discipline because you can still test things on Starseed and still learn all the seeds and that's still not my issue with the game. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah. I just mean, personally, I enjoyed approaching Starseed as just doing random stuff and then <laughs> disciplining myself after <laughs> getting bored with that. Yeah, I was like that for first 10, 15, 20 minutes. And that's what I, I don't know. Cause I still actually like, that's actually the first video on my channel now. It's, it's those two videos that are heavily edited where I sort of do random stuff, but then I realize, all right, now let's start playing for real. And that's when I get into my experimenting phase. All right. Thank you all for joining me in this discussion on bugaboo i think we all had some keen observations before we leave though i, I just said keen observations don't say it again oh don't man that's it. where i thought of that word from <laughs> <laughs> so fox what fingers did you use to press the jump keys my left and right index fingers oh your index fingers and i assume the left index finger goes on the one that's correct okay just the magic <laughs> Uh, Supeg, what fingers did you use to press the jump keys? Oddly enough, uh, my ring fingers. That's what I used, alright. No, that's what I used. Whoa! <laughs> like, it just didn't feel right to, like, have so much of my hand off the keyboard entirely. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Adrian, what did you use to press the jump keys? I think I actually switched it around a lot. I know I did use a ring finger when I still gave a shit about the camera, but then I went to pointer fingers. <laughs> and um I I did actually use my controller at one point. Because <laughs> I said I said, fuck this shit. And then I started binding the keys to my PS3 controller and gave that a try. Oh, uh, you know what? Nice. Did did you do it like the D pad is one and the face buttons were zero? Uh, no, not, not quite like that. I did it. <laughs> so it was square and circle. So it made uh, me think of Ranger X, like left and right fire, oh, left yeah. and right jump. Yeah, yeah. And okay. then I used the D pad for the camera. And I fixed ah. it too. So that was even better. That's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And of course, yourself, you said you did ring finger. 
yourself, any final words? Mm, no, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, Supeg, any final words? Uh, I guess just that uh, I've been very negative. For some reason, I love this game. Really? <laughs> what is like, that? It has, it has a lot of problems. We've discussed them all, and I hate that stupid dragon. I think he's the worst. <laughs> but there's just like, there's just this charm of just this uncontrollable little flea who you have to try to guide through this simple maze, and he just—it's just so hard. He just. <laughs> he has that Octodad appeal to me that, like, mm. he's trying, but it's just so hard. <laughs> and it's just very, it's, it's very fun. I like it. He's too strong. He can't control it. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, you don't know the gravity on this planet. That's true. Um, he's very sturdy, Flea. Tiny dragon. You know that it's, <laughs> it's I think either a really huge flea or a really tiny dragon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a dragon model that would be on your desk or something like that. According to Hardcore Gaming, the flea is supposed to be a spacecraft. So. Well, I find that what? hard to believe. Okay. That's hard to match up with oh. the frowny face he makes when he hits his head. <laughs> <laughs> the spaceship was taught how to love. <laughs> yeah, in the future, spaceships will feel pain. Uh, Wonderful. In the more distant future, we'll figure out why that is. Uh, Adrian, any final words? Yourself actually landed uh, said a lot of what I would have said. Basically about this game being in that realm of too hard to where you can definitely hit that point of, you know, I kind of just don't even care anymore. Yeah. And yeah, although like with all these other games, I still do appreciate the experience. Even Popful Mail, I still do appreciate the experience. Sure. Uh, I guess the only other thing I would think of is that this is actually something why I'm interested in those two other games you brought up because the idea behind Bugaboo is actually really solid. Having that artillery-like or or even think of it like a golf game where you're basically controlling a meter to aim the trajectory and the launch of a projectile or something and then move that through a level like that's that's a pretty good foundation for a game. So that's why I'm interested in those other two games because to me, Bugaboo's flaws reside more in its execution and the numbers behind its mechanics, not so much the idea itself. It's a pretty good idea, I think. Yeah, that would be Bullet P for Android and iOS and Flicks the Flea, that's on Steam. I have a final word that I now want to interject because Adrian reminded me. Playing Bugaboo reminded me that I needed to play Mario Golf uh, for N64, so I've been playing that along with Bugaboo. It's important to note that the Bugaboo meter is harder than a golf meter because the golf meter goes up and down, but the Bugaboo meter instantly jumps from max to min, which makes it, you know, if you screw up, then it's big time. True. Yeah, it's a million times harder to use. It's also just way more rewarding to, I mean, we don't have time to get into golf games, but it is interesting how similar Bugaboo is to a golf game and how much more rewarding it is and how much more present adaptation it is in golf games. Yeah. Can we play Neo Turf Masters? Uh, is that like a Neo Geo arcade golf game? Yeah. Uh, no. 
<laughs> but I do recommend anyone that like likes Bugaboo go play some golf games. Right. Fun. <laughs> All right, Fox, play us out. Give us some final words. Uh, I think without a doubt, Bugaboo is the most realistic flea simulator I've ever played. <laughs> Very profound words, all right? Thank you all for Most joining me. realistic flea simulator you ever played has a spaceship for a flea. <laughs> <laughs> Speaks to the genre. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> all right, well, see you later. All music in this podcast was from Bugaboo, in a sense. Also, Hardcore Gaming 101 didn't call Bugaboo a spaceship. Instead, they used the term biomechanical exploration tool. I'll leave you with this final thought. When a game is deterministic but really hard, you can always brute force it by memorizing a sequence of actions to win. But then, you're memorizing a sequence which only has meaning in the context of that particular game. On one hand, it seems foolish, because you'll never have any other application for that knowledge. But, on the other hand, Memorization is its own skill. We can use a number of tricks to memorize large sets of information, like chunking similar information together. And besides, to brute force something means to run through all of your options one by one. And to do that, you need to at least acknowledge all of your options, which does require some amount of observation and analysis. Brute force and memorization are inelegant sluggish gameplay tools, but even they can be refined and honed. Spelunking equipment for the Commune podcast was furnished by Lapulga Industries, but they only gave us a hard hat. <laughs>